Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Very happy to be with you again today and thank you for tuning in. It's a privilege to sit together with our panel today and uh, look again on one of the topics of our studies, the New Covenant Life. We are looking for a number of weeks at the promise of God, everlasting covenant. And uh, we cover uh, lots of topics, but it's wonderful to look today at covenant life and to learn a little bit more what that means. I'd like to welcome our panel, and I'll start with Will. Good to have you with us, Will. Lovely to be here. Thank you. And Ken, thank you for joining. Thank you very much, Nick. Wonderful to be here again. Helen, good to have you with us, back with us, to say so. Thank you, Nick. It's lovely to be back. It's great to see all your happy, smiling faces. And I know we've got a great study today. Brenton, thank you for joining us. Nick, it's a privilege. I'm looking forward to sharing this very important topic, the New Covenant Life. And Lija, thank you. Yes, I'm very happy to be part of the Bible study. Always enjoying. Len, it's good to have you with us uh, also. You are our facilitator today. And thank you for putting together uh, this uh, Bible study. Thank you for joining. You're very welcome. And although you can't see it, listeners, it's nice to see a panel of people who look happy and are smiling and at peace. Well, for the last 12 weeks, the Bible studies have been about covenants, which are basically about saving mankind from sin. God promises eternal life for those who accept the saving grace of Jesus. But we do not have to wait until that time to enjoy the covenant blessings. And I want to add here, many critics of Christianity say, oh, you Christians, you don't enjoy your lives. You're saving everything up for eternity. Well, that's not true. We can enjoy the blessings right now. The Lord cares about our present lives, and he wants the best for us right at this very moment. As those who by faith enter into the covenant relationship, we can enjoy God's blessings each and every day. And today we'll consider some of these immediate blessings. So stay tuned because there are many blessings we can have right now. Before we get into the meat of this Bible study, I invite you to join us while Helen prays. Thank you, Ben. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we are so blessed. We are so grateful and we so love you. And yet our love could never surpass the love that you have for each one of us. Pray, Father, that as we open the word, the Holy Spirit will enlighten us, that we'll see you shining through the scriptures. Lord, we just want to thank you for the joy that you put into our hearts, for the peace, for the love and gratitude that we can experience. You made us human beings, Father, with feelings and emotions, but, oh, Lord, you've given us so many other beautiful blessings. Help us to realise each of those in our lives now and look forward to the life in eternal life with you sharing as well. Bless each listener. May hearts be touched this morning. I pray in the loving name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. All right. Well, let's find out what these blessings are. So, Will, the first blessing is found in 1 John 1 verse 4. Would you like to share that verse with us and 
tell us what that blessing is? Yes, I should certainly shall. In your introduction, Len, you mentioned that uh, that many people have the impression that the Christian life is gloomy and somber and that we just look forward to happiness in the by and by. I believe that Christians can have joy right in the here and now. And that's uh, backed by a beautiful verse, 1 John 1 verse 4, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And then this beautiful verse, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Clearly, he connects joy to the experience of the Christian. And why shouldn't we be happy? Why shouldn't our our spirits be lifted when we're in connection with the very source of life and joy and happiness, I believe? People may ask the question, well, what is joy? What is joy when you compare it to happiness and so on? Well, I believe joy is an emotion that makes life worth living uh, in the moment because it resonates with our core identity. Having joy includes feeling good cheer and a vibrant happiness. But joy in its fuller spiritual meaning of expressing God's goodness involves more. It is a deep-rooted inspired happiness. The Holy Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Bible says that God gives us joy and peace. What more could we want in life? So the first gift I believe that we receive is joy. And it's wonderful. And I suppose we need to consider joy is more of an inner happiness It's not just an occasional happiness, it's an abiding happiness. Helen, you want to add something? Just very briefly, while Will was talking, I couldn't help thinking back to some of the songs that we've sung. You know, there's there's a song that came when, when he said that your joy may be complete, and one of the translations says may be full, you know, and overflowing. And it reminded me of the song that my cup overflows. I don't know if you know that one but it's a beautiful song. And also the words to the song, joy, joy, my heart is full of joy. You know, my saviour dear is ever near. That's the reason why my heart is full of joy. It's a joy that just surpasses other things. It's just there no matter what you go through. Yep. Okay. Yes, I wanted to add, Len, I thought it was very interesting you making the comment about people thinking Christians aren't happy. And look, that may be the case for some Christians, but look, apart from joy... I think the Lord does so much for all of us in so many ways. We could spend the entire episode just talking about that. Not only do we have joy, but he guides our lives in so many ways. And irrespective of what happens to us, we know he he is always with us. And I think that's, that's a huge blessing as well. I'm sure it is because I've experienced it. And I think Brenton has too. Yes, certainly, Len. Um, I agree with you, Len, what you said earlier on, that um, joy is an inner 
experience. But what Will was read in First John 1, 4 is particularly interesting because it equates with John 15, verse 11, which says exactly the same thing. Um, if you uh, love me, keep my commandments, Jesus says, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Now, John always, whether it's in the Gospel of John or the Epistles of John, he always equates joy with the relationship. He always relates joy in regard to having Christ dwelling in a person's heart. It's interesting that whenever John talks about eternal life, and he does so 23 times in total in his Gospel and his Epistles, he always, without fail, always equates it with the relationship with Christ. So the joy that we're talking about, yes, it does involve emotions, but I believe it is a, is a um, it can be equated with peace in the sense that whatever happens in life, we are secure. And that comes from within. It doesn't come from without. And um, if we, uh, this is why Paul says 75 times, in his epistles, we must be in Christ. He talks frequently about being in Christ. And I think that when we are in Christ, we have joy and we also have all the other things that we're going to be discussing today. Can you imagine being a Christian without joy? <laughs> it seems to be an oxymoron, doesn't it? Yes, I, I would agree on that. <laughs> Nick, you wanted to say something. Yeah, I just want to just uh, support what um, Brenton was uh, sharing because I believe uh, we can have a, um, a wrong perception of the joy as we look into the world, you know, and understand what joy is. And, um, yeah, we can, and, and there are many other things like which doesn't uh, give justice to the, for example, love. We talk about love and again, uh, can be very misunderstood what love is. But if you look in from this perspective of a relationship with God, joy is something different because most of the Christians, most of the children of God, uh, they went through difficult times, you know, and they still had that peace and joy in themselves, which was beyond the joy of the world, the joy of everyday life. And probably that's where, where we want to make a difference. Doesn't mean that, as you just pointed out earlier, that we should not be joyful, even in this life, you know, to enjoy, to have a, a good time with each other, but particularly with God. But I believe in this context we are going to look at today is, wo is more meaningful when you understand that that relationship with Jesus Christ will give you the joy which the world may not understand. It's interesting that the word enjoy has the word joy in it. When you enjoy something, it's the experience, a good experience. Now, I believe there are plenty of people who regard their relationship with God on feelings. What's your take on that one, Brenton? Well, I'd have to say this, Len, at the start. Whilst I don't agree that our whole relationship should be based on emotion, and it is possible as a Christian to unfortunately to base it on emotion, I think you need a, a solid foundation. The solid foundation is the Word of God. But just remember, God gave us emotions. We have emotions, and emotions are first seen in the Garden of Eden, where, first of all, they were guilty after they sinned. 
and um, then they began blaming one another, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I believe that this joy is not something where you work, walk around with a stick-on smile on your face. I believe, as we've discussed so far, it is an inner peace, it is an inner contentment, and it is something that will take you through anything, and I mean anything, that the devil throws at you during, during life. This is why Nick mentioned the fact that the world can't understand it. Um, Jesus was telling them that his joy would be in them and that their joy would be full only a matter of four or five hours before he was arrested and crucified. So um, you have to look at it in the context of God has given us emotions. I believe the emotions need to be sanctified emotions, if that makes sense. So the joy that we're talking about is not the artificial joy that you see on TV and uh, reality TV programs and things like that. The joy that it's talking about here is a sanctified emotion because we are right with God. That, that's my take on that one, Len. Yes, I like that expression, sanctified emotions. Yes, Will? I think there's a danger in basing your Christian experience on emotion only. Um, you know, I know that you can have the happy experience, the, the jumping up and down and shouting out, a worship experience, uh, but leave, leave a place or have in a few days' time feel deflated. And I looked this up to what Billy Graham would be saying, and Billy Graham put it in a succinct way. He said, remember to refuse any reliance upon your feelings. They will change like fluctuating weather. And I think that that is true. Good point, Will. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Ken, would you like to read First John 1, 1 to 3 for us? Sure. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you may also have the fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. So who wrote this? Yes, this was written by John, one of the 12, 12 apostles. And again, he's just explaining the joy that he has and the disciples have because they have actually witnessed physically Jesus and been able to be with him and touch him, see him and hear him speak. And obviously... That's had a huge impact on all their lives. All right. Brenton? Just to add to what uh, Ken has said, what's vitally important about uh, what Ken has read is this. John is pointing out that they were not only eyewitnesses of Jesus, they actually walked and talked, ate with him and all the rest of it. And the reason he is at such pains to point this out is because there were two errors circulating in the church at the time. One was called docetism and the other was called Serinthianism. Now, docetism basically states that Christ never, ever had a human body. Um, Serinthianism was a little more subtle. It said that Jesus was actually the natural-born son of Joseph and Mary. At his baptism, Christ entered him, and just before the crucifixion, he left. 
And John is saying to them, no, this is an insidious error. And as you know, those of us who have studied First John, the term Antichrist is used more frequently in First John than anywhere else in um, the New Testament that I can find. Um, John is saying the person that we associated with is the Son of God. We have walked with him. We have talked with him. We have seen him. This is why there are so many verbs used in those first three verses. They're to point out that I am telling you these things personally. Remember, he's writing this pastorally to church members. He's writing it to people who are facing some of these very uh, heresies that are, are abounding in the church. And they always relate to the divinity of Christ. Now, it's interesting we're facing exactly the same issues today facing the divinity of Christ. It's always Satan's plan to detract from the divinity of Christ. And um, John is saying to them, you can be assured, I was there. I spent three and a half years with the Son of God. I saw him, I talked to him, I walked with him. I heard him, I prayed with him. He prayed for me. And um, I'm telling you that you do not need to regard any of these false doctrines because I know what I saw, what I've heard and what I've felt. And I know that um, Christ is indeed the Son of God. And I think that that's the background to these first three verses, First John 1, 1 to 3. Yes, thank you for that. All right, yes, Nick. Yes, what I was going to say again, uh, what uh, Brenton was uh, talking about, you know, what the disciples, you know, were witnessing and then share with others. Because I want to pick up again on that word feeling, you know, in the Bible is not much mentioned, you know, when you talk about the feelings, you know, that is more talk, it talks more about faith or uh, um, all other things, but not feelings. In the dictionary, actually, it's very interesting how this word is uh, defined. And I was just looking on a part of it, you know, it says, it says here that it can be an idea or belief, especially a vague or irrational one. It's interesting when uh, you look at this because in church today, in Christendom today, we hear a lot about feelings, how you feel about it, you know. And to me, you can be trapped into some feelings which can be irrational, not necessarily connecting you with God the way you come to church or do things, you know, it may be just that feeling that it's a vague experience, rather a profound experience with God, which will bring you, you know, conviction, faith, uh, um, all those beautiful things. All right. Now, Helen, why was it that John felt so privileged to have spent those three and a half years with Jesus? This is a, a very interesting thing because John actually, he felt very privileged because he was there in person with um, with Jesus. He had a special relationship with him. But I, I relate to that as well, even though I haven't seen Jesus in the flesh. I feel very privileged at coming to know him through his word, through nature, through other people, um, because it, it's a special relationship we have. He is certainly... How can I say it? He is the creator of the earth, and yet he chose to walk on this earth. And I think it was interesting that, that 1 John 1 says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. So he's actually saying here that 
way, way back, you know, the beginning as we know, but he was eternal, whom we have heard and seen, and we can hear from him through his word. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. How do we see him? We see him through the, the um, relationship that other people also have, a sincere relationship. And I guess I can bring that back also to the word joy as compared to happiness. Uh, unfortunately, we have given a very bad impression, if that's the right word, of what a Christian is. I think it was a very famous man, Gandhi. He said, you know, he could fall in love with Christ, but he would be a Christian, but for his followers. And I remember years ago in church, we had an elder and he always looked angry. And I mean, he always looked angry. He was up the front looking angry. And he was a lovely guy. And I went to him one day and I said, are you happy? And he said, yes. I said, would you mind telling your face that? You know, because this joy, even though we don't go around with a smile all the time, by the way, he did tell me that every time he was on the roster and he looked at me, he couldn't help but smile after that. <laughs> but, you know, it should be, a, it should be noticeable in our life, should it not? We don't, we don't go and have lemons all the time. We have, we make lemonade, you know, and it's this joy that, that motivates us. And I'm getting carried away here because I'm full of joy of the Lord. <laughs> But, yeah. So you've actually given a personal testimony about something that Jesus said because none of us here have actually seen Jesus in the flesh. What did Jesus actually say about this kind of thing, Will? I'd like to read uh, John 20, verse 29, but first just make a comment. You know, I remember when we were young, uh, my young Christian friends commenting that if they could have witnessed the miracles that Jesus performed, actually have lived in his time, perhaps have stood outside the tomb of Lazarus and seen him appear with renewed youth and vigor, they said, uh, <clears throat> I would be a faithful Christian forever. I would never forsake him. But, you know, Jesus speaks to a class of people who were not present at this wonderful occasion, these wonderful occasions. And this is where John 20, verse 29 comes in. He says, and then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So we are blessed because we believe that we haven't actually seen Christ. All right, this brings us down to the second blessing. The first blessing was joy. So what is the second blessing we have in living the Christian life, Brenton? Um, it says, therefore, we are justified by faith and we have peace with God. Basically, to cut it uh, to the to chase, we belong to Christ. And if we're in Christ, what we get being justified by faith is an exchange. God takes my sins upon himself and he gives me eternal life he gives me all the things so far that we've discussed Len. it's an exchange that you can't do anything for other than accept it and uh, i think paul is summarizing what he said in the first seven chapters of romans romans 7 is a particularly interesting chapter we all know but in romans 8 he's basically saying look <laughs> we have we we are justified by faith by faith means we believe that Christ has taken my sins. And I will add the thing um, here. 
This week, I have spent a particular amount of time studying uh, in my private devotions, and I'd like to share this with the listeners, uh, some chapters from a very important book called The Desire of Ages. Uh, I have been reading the chapters entitled Gethsemane, Before Annas and Caiaphas, In Pilate's Judgment Hall, It Is Finished, and Calvary. And those chapters have really, really touched my heart because I have read them slowly, not rushed through them at breakneck pace. I've read them very slowly, very thoughtfully and very carefully. And I believe even this week my relationship with the Lord has grown. I love him so much more because I understand so much more, even though they're things, Len, that I've read many, many times. If you take the time, if you reflect and take the time and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, I believe that um, you learn more about God's love for you. It gives you that peace and it gives you that joy. And I can personally attest that that's been the case with me during uh, this week. Yes, well, having received God's forgiveness, there's a big load taken off our back. Yes. And the freedom from guilt is a real blessing. And there are a lot of people who are suffering because they feel guilty. They know they've done wrong, but they don't accept the Lord's forgiveness. And it's interesting that excessive and inappropriate guilt is often associated with a number of mental health conditions, including depression, OCD, that's obsessive compulsive disorder, crime, insomnia, not sleeping properly, muscle tension, preoccupation with the past, regret, digestive disorders, worry, depression, attention disorders, fatigue and social withdrawal. A guilt complex can have a serious impact on a person's overall well-being. And I believe that we as Christians have a huge blessing in this particular thing. Ken, would you read Second Corinthians 5.21 and explain it a little bit? Sure. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now here we have the story of Jesus, because we're talking about Jesus, that he was the one that was sinless, and yet God put all the sin, our sins, on Jesus, that we could be righteous to God through him. And all our sin all our guilt and everything we have and all remorse has been taken away. And I think an example I was thinking of this yesterday as I was reading this passage, I was thinking of uh, a garbage bin. And when we come every week to put the garbage bin out, the truck comes along and empties the contents, but this bin is still dirty, still dirty on the outside. And sometimes it's awfully dirty on the inside. And I think this is sometimes our lives. This is what I refer our, our lives to sometimes. However, when Jesus comes, that bin is cleansed inside, outside, in every direction. It's spotless, and it's just what God sees. I think that's a really good analogy. Yes, Helen? Yeah, I was thinking too, if you were on death row and somebody came along, along and said, not guilty, let, let them go free, how would, what would those words mean to us? Uh-huh. And when we think of it, the whole earth is traumatised by, um, we're all on death row really, aren't we? We've been condemned yes, repeatedly 
God's holy law. But without Jesus, we would have no hope. But I'm just so grateful to God. He actually declared us not guilty, offered us freedom from sin and power to do his will. Not guilty. Not guilty. Yes, Will. Wonderful news. Just commenting on what Helen was speaking about uh, on death row, I do know of an experience of someone that I did have a personal relationship with an inmate of the Nebraska State Penitentiary who was electrocuted in the electric chair um, after so many appeals. But, you know, the whole consideration of freedom from guilt and condemnation made... uh, Charles Wesley write the hymn, Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast, bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eyes diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head and clothed in righteousness divine wonderful bold i I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through christ my own this is worthy of sharing uh, from christian to christian and christian to the world it's good news len and panel and listener yes and it's a it's a very real and a very positive blessing yes free of the black dog of guilt following us wherever we go All right, well, let's go to the third blessing. Helen, it's found in Ezekiel 11, 19. Would you like to share this with us? Love to. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, Ezekiel 11, 19. It says here, And I will give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take away their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsive heart heart in thinking about this verse i thought here we go we're going to have a heart transplant a new heart and the good thing is he doesn't have to anesthetize us for it and um when i read those words singleness of heart i thought what does this actually mean but it's really a singleness of purpose isn't it you know not seeking after other gods but content with god and it's a new life that can only be given to us by and through the holy spirit so the blessing is a new heart. Yes, not necessarily a new physical heart, but a new direction in our lives. Yes, seeing things from a totally different viewpoint. Will, I know you love quotations, and I think you've got one here for us today. The new covenant is one which the Lord puts the law in our hearts. Not only is the law there, But according to our texts that we've studied, Christ is as well, which, of course, makes good sense for Christ and his law are so closely connected. Thus, with Christ's law in our hearts and with Christ dwelling there, too, um, settling in, as it were, we come to another one of the great covenant benefits. And the benefit is, of course, a new heart. What a wonderful gift that is. Yes, it is. Now, I want to ask you an off-the-cuff question, Will or panel. Can you have Christ dwelling in the heart without Christ's law being there too? I think, Len, no. I think the answer to that is a definite big no, because obviously the Bible tells us that if you love the Lord, you will keep his commandments. 
So obviously the commandments are very important. It also tells us again in the book of Revelation that when Jesus comes back, he's coming for those that have the faith and testimony of Jesus and keep his commandments. So you cannot have Christ in your heart if you don't keep his commandments because Christ and God are love. And if we love the Lord, we will keep his commandments. I think that's a very profound statement. Yes, Ledger. God's law and his requirements represents his character and his character is embedded, it's engraved in our hearts if we love him. So automatically his love is in our hearts and all they, they go together hand in hand. All right, so you're basically saying here that our hearts are loving hearts. Because Correct. we have the love of God dwelling in us as well. Yes, and uh, also our faith means nothing if it is not rooted in love for God and love for others. So it's going vertically, love for God, and after that horizontally, love for others around me. All right. Well, now, Brenton, you'd be so kind as to read First John chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. And after you've read it, could you answer this question? Because I think our listeners would be interested in this. Since you have God living in you, what blessings do you receive as a result of having a new heart? All right, let me read the verses first, Glenn, and we'll see where we are from there. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Now, he's, he's speaking both uh, historically, but he's also speaking in the present tense. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. John always ties these two together. Now we come to verse 17, because it partly answers your question that you've asked. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, what your question was, since you have God living in you, what blessings do you receive as a result of having a new heart? We've already touched on some of them, peace, joy, and other things. But in this particular, these particular two texts, he's talking about us having confidence in the day of judgment. Now, we're not dealing with the various phases of judgment here. He's simply pointing out the fact that there is a day of judgment coming. We're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And if we are in Christ and Christ is in us, not only do we have nothing to fear, but beyond that, we may have boldness, we may have confidence, not a misplaced confidence, but a confidence that is totally based in Christ who appears for us. I believe he's trying to give the early Christian church that he's writing to here assurance that their confidence and their trust in Christ as their Redeemer is not misplaced. And not only is that not misplaced, but that confidence can be carried forward to the day of judgment, that if they are in Christ, they have nothing to fear. I believe this is why the New Testament writers spend so much time talking about being in Christ. Now, Christians in the past, as, as we know historically, have often been scared into the church 
because of the subject of judgment and what's going to happen in the judgment. I believe John is saying here very clearly, if you're in Christ and Christ is in you, you can confidently appear before the judgment seat of Christ, knowing that he appears for you. We know Christ as our high priest. We know him as our intercessor. We also know him as our advocate. And I think John is touching on all those aspects in this particular verse. What a great verse. Maybe it's a verse we need to read more regularly, both as a panel and also as listeners. Yes, that was um, quite profound, Brenton. I also think there's something that spins off to others, the fact that we have goodwill towards others. We don't think negatively about others. Yes, Helen? I just want to add to what Brenton was saying. It's actually good news of the judgment, isn't it, for those that have accepted Christ? I mean, the good news is that we're going to see the end of all sin and we're going to come face to face with our Saviour. So that is good news. And if if someone hasn't accepted Christ into their life, now is the day of salvation so that when he comes, the judgment won't be bad news, it'll be good. Okay, well, while you've got the floor, Helen, we come to the fourth blessing. So if you read John 14, 27, hopefully we'll find it in there. I love this one. And again, from the New Living Translation, I'm reading John 14, 27. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift of the, that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. You know, the peace is a confidence assurance that we have in any circumstance with Christ's peace, with no need to fear the present or the future. And I just want to tell you a very quick story, if I may, on on this peace, peace with God and peace with man. And it happened years ago when I was in Papua New Guinea, we had an aircraft accident. And as we were coming in to land, we had no landing gear of the first, or the, we had some, but the first, uh, the nose wheel was just flapping in the breeze, they told us from the tower, and um, we didn't know what was going to happen when we landed in a twin-engined Aztec. The interesting thing is that I had learnt to love God and to trust him no matter which circumstance, and I believe in this text. And and I, I remember that I just left it all with the Lord. You know, whatever, Father, we're in your hand. I had that confident assurance, and, and there's been a couple of times in my life I felt this peace that is without understanding and the peace was so with me at that time that I wasn't afraid I wasn't afraid even though we could all lose our life um, and when we actually did hit the ground my my son was fairly little at that time and the jolt was enough to take him out of my arms and he ended up you know under the other seat and what have you so it was a very very real terrifying experience however I didn't feel terrified in fact, one of the guys said to me when I got out and said, what happened to you? I said, why? They said, you were so calm, which, of course, meant my son was calm. And I said, I can't explain it, but I just had this amazing peace that it didn't matter what happened, all was going to be well with Christ. And that's a peace that I just, even though I can't explain it properly, I wish that everybody could experience that. Yes, Will and then Bridget. When Jesus says, my peace I give to you, Uh, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He offers it to us all. You know, Paul adopted this, and he says that we can have lasting peace. In fact, he comments, troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, 
but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. Wow, that means to me that the Apostle Paul had taken that peace that Christ offers into his life. And uh, I think it's something that is recommended to each Christian as well. Yes. Nick? Uh, just very quickly, again, on the same passage in uh, John 14, uh, what um, also brought to my attention, you know, the word, not as the world gives you that peace, because the the peace of the world is futile, you know. Uh, it's, it cannot last. Uh, um, if you are facing difficulties, as Will was mentioning there, then uh, that peace is gone. You know, um, all other things come into your life. But when you have Jesus Christ and his peace in you, then he deals with that. And that's the difference. Probably today we are comparing some of the things, you know, in, in our everyday life with the reality of what God is offering us in terms of joy and peace and all the other things which we talked about. Yes. Now, the Bible actually has an expression for this particular peace, the peace that God gives. Ken, would you read Philippians 4, 7 and then just explain a little? I I know Helen has covered some of this, but uh, let's have it from the Word of God. Sure. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, here we have an absolutely amazing statement because we're told that the peace of God is going to be passed on to us. Now, not for a moment is God worried. Not for a moment is God upset about things. He has no strife for anything in his life. He's at peace with everything because he controls everything. Now, over the years, there has been millions of people martyred and put in prison and all sorts of things, and it's still happening today because they're Christians and they refuse to give up their belief in Jesus Christ. Now, I think that's an amazing thing because if you were taken somewhere by the authorities or whoever and they said, well, unless you denounce Jesus, we're going to kill you. And these millions of people over the years have said, well, you'll have to kill us because we're not going to give up our belief in Jesus. Now, these people, they had peace. It may sound very difficult, especially as the world has just been speaking a moment ago. The peace that we have is not the peace of the world because there is no peace in the world, especially in these last days. People everywhere are worried and concerned, and there's so many people on drugs to try and calm them down. But those of us who know the scriptures well and have Jesus in our heart, we have the peace of God and realize that God is with us and we have nothing to worry about as long as we keep our eyes on Jesus. Yes, it's described as the peace that passes all understanding. Yes. It's it's a God-given peace. All right, let's move on to the fifth blessing. John 11, 25 and 26 speaks about this amongst many other places. Will, would you like to open up to us what the fifth blessing is in the Christian life? 
Yes, the fifth blessing of the covenant life uh, is the assurance of eternal life. John 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And uh, this is a question that is directed to everyone as well. If we believe it, it becomes the fifth blessing of the assurance of life eternally in God's kingdom one day. I like what you've said there, Will. You didn't say the hope of eternal life. It's the assurance of eternal life. And I believe that this is important for us to think about, not just the hope, but the word of God is true. The promises of God are true. God does not lie. And he says, here are the conditions. You accept Jesus as your saviour. Your sins are forgiven through him. You can have eternal life. Lydia, the book of John in chapter 6, verse 39 and 40, and John 3.16, which is the best-known verse in the Bible, tells us where we get eternal life. Where does it come from? Yes, we read in the Bible like this, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks at the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And uh, in John 3.16, it's a very well-known text. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So this eternal life we receive from God through Jesus. Right. So, Brenton, is it possible to have eternal life outside of the gift of God? Uh, the simple answer is no, and I'll let me quote to you John 5.39. You search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. And verse 40 says, But they are they which testify of me, yet you will not come to me that you might have life. Um, this is a danger, Len, that was present in Christ's day, and I believe it's a danger today. It's a danger in knowing the scriptures. In Christ's day, they believed, um, the rabbis actually taught that an understanding of the Torah and a reading of the Torah basically meant that you had one foot in the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is pointing out to them is that you are appallingly ignorant. You have a knowledge of the scriptures, but you do not understand who the scriptures point to. It's still possible today to be able to quote Bible verbatim. It's possible to be able to memorize whole chapters of the Bible, but still not know the person that the Bible's about. And Jesus is saying to them, really, that all your study, all your theological study is a waste of time because these scriptures point to me. And if you don't come to me, you won't have life. You'll simply have a theoretical knowledge. I believe that's a danger that is still present today in the church. And for our readers, I would caution them in studying the word of God or our listeners in studying the word of God, study it to know the person of the Bible, 
not to refute arguments that others may have put up against you or um, to bolster your own theological position. Study the Word of God so that you may know the person that the Word of God's about. Yes. You know, in many circles, many religious circles these days, there is a delusion that Christians never actually die, which is contrary to what the Scriptures actually teach. However, what does uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 14 to 17, to say about this, Helen? Well, it's good news, actually. God's people do die. Um, I also believe that um, at the end of time there'll be some that will still be alive. But those that have died and um, are asleep in their grave, which is what the Bible tells us death is, um, I, I think these words are just so beautiful. And I, I just like to, I won't read the whole lot, um, but let me read from verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Beautiful, beautiful words. Yes, they have the, be, they will be awarded eternal life because of God's promise and Jesus' sacrifice, although they will only take up eternal life at the second coming of Jesus. It's important to realize that the expression will not die actually refers to eternal life. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, All right, now we have a sixth and final blessing, and we've just about got time to cover it. Will, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, what is this particular blessing? Lennon panel, the uh, blessings that we and the benefits that we have been speaking about today, if adopted into the life, should make us very happy and secure Christians, and it would it would give us an incentive to tell other people of the better life that God is offering us. And this is exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. He says, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then he puts on an amen there as well. So be it. And I want to say, so be it with us all. Yes. To be able to share the word of God, the hope of salvation, is a blessing. It's a blessing to others and it's a blessing to us as we share it. And um, probably some people think, oh, no, that'll be a chore. But on the other hand, it's it's a joy. It's a real blessing. Yes, Nick? Yeah, I just want to add here that, um, you know, as we were talking about uh, that, um, you know, the assurance of salvation, it's an unfortunate thing that many times we come across and in our, you know, circles, Christians, uh, trying to, to work towards that salvation, you know, to uh, to have the assurance that you are saved. And we don't understand that 
when we accepted Jesus in our life and what Jesus did for us, our salvation is secured. And into this passage in Matthew, the great commission, as we want to call it, is that we are here not to work, still work on our salvation, but to share the salvation with others. That's our um, great uh, joy and another blessing, if you like, that we are part of the plan of salvation, which God works on. And there are so many people out there not knowing that. And we are called to share. And that's what we're doing, even through this broadcast. Yes. Listeners, there are many wisdom sayings that human beings have come up with. And one of those is one that describes the four ingredients of a happy life. And here they are. Number one is someone to love. Number two is someone who loves you. Number three, there's something to do. And number four, which is a lot of what we've been talking about today, is something to hope for. The fifth blessing to bring others to Christ is the something to do. And it's probably the most rewarding activity or occupation anybody can be involved in. Today we've shared with you six blessings to be had in the new covenant life. They are joy, freedom from guilt, a new loving heart, peace, eternal life, and being able to share the message of hope with others. And I want to say from experience that the Christian life is a privilege, and we hope and pray that you, our listeners, will be able to share in that privilege also. We're going to close this series of studies and this particular study today with prayer And, Will, would you like to pray for us and our listeners? Certainly. Lord and Heavenly Father, for us to comprehend that the great creator and ruler of the universe desires an intimate relationship with each one of us and then covenants that he would keep his side of the excellent promise is amazing enough for us. And what a strong motivation it is for us to embrace that covenant relationship and uh, discover peace in the life that you have to offer us. Please, Lord, may your mercy and grace attend us as we we endeavor to serve thee. May your name be honored in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, everyone, for uh, your participation, uh, for the whole series of... um, these wonderful uh, studies in regard to God's promise, the everlasting covenant. And um, we are moving into another um, set of studies from next week. And we are going to talk a little bit more about rest in Christ. Here are some of the topics which we are going to look at. And I believe there will be very interesting ones. Living in 24-7, and I believe we experience that, uh, how how it is to to live in a twenty four seven busyness, restless and rebellious. 
the root of restlessness and the cost of rest for just few of the topics which we are going to approach um, in the next Bible study. May God richly bless you and don't forget, keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus. 